that major outrage this morning after a behavioral therapist was shot by an officer after he held his hands in the air, lying on the ground, his patient with autism sitting right nearby. ABC's Gio Benitez has more on this story. Good morning to you, Gio. Amy, good morning to you. That new video taking social media by storm overnight. The unarmed black behavioral therapist shot by police on the streets of Miami. And police say it all started when they got a call about a man threatening suicide. Watch, just moments before the shooting, you can see 47-year-old Charles Kinsey, his hands raised in the air. The video released overnight by his lawyer. Kinsey, in the yellow shirt, works at an assisted living facility. And the man at his feet is a 23-year-old with autism who ran away from the group home. Listen as Kinsey talks to police. Kinsey even tries to calm the young man with autism. At some point, one of the officers shoots Kinsey, but he survives and speaks with Fox Station WSBN from his hospital bed, recounting what he told that officer. And I'm cutting again, sir. There's no need for a firearm. I'm unarmed. He's an autistic guy. He had a toy truck in his hand. When he hit me, I'm like, I still got my hands in there. I said, you know, I just got shot. And I'm standing there, I'm like, sir, why did you shoot me? And in his, his words to me, he said, I don't know. Video of the actual shooting hasn't been released, but this is the moment right after. And this morning, Kinsey is expected to make a full recovery. The North Miami Police Department has placed the officer on administrative leave, and the local state attorney's office is now investigating it. Gio, this is so hard for people to get their heads around after all that has happened. Have the police there admitted that now they know this was a therapist and his patient? Where does this investigation go? Yeah, absolutely. They acknowledge he's an ALS employee. They acknowledge the other one is a young man with autism. And that's why, Amy, this is going to be a very serious investigation. A lot of people asking, how could this happen? A lot of people, Gio. All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we deal with a couple of items that we have talked to here over the past couple of weeks. Senseless killings among law enforcement officers running rampant across the country in the midst of the George Floyd trial and the verdict. Things continue to happen and spin out of control. We're going to deal with that tonight. And hang on to your seat, folks. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Quentin Stewart, uh, Dennis Merritt, and Cliff is out of studio tonight. And I'll tell you what, folks. We tonight and the entire AJC radio team deals with this issue that we've been talking about, David, uh, here over the last few weeks. Also, we're going to bring to you the actual reading of the verdict in the George Floyd uh, uh, trial. Uh, a lot is going on in this country, and we're going to deal with not only the high-profile issues tonight, but the injustices that happen in courtrooms every single day. 
and in arrest by police officers. And let me be clear, and you'll hear me, you'll, you will hear me and this team reference this quite frequently tonight. All officers, let me be very clear, at just calls AJC Radio, we believe in officers, we believe in police officers, deputy sheriffs, our hats go off to them for the risks they take every single day as they go out to protect this nation. We are dealing with an issue with officers who simply will not do the right thing. That is not all officers. All officers are not that way, and we need to make that point abundantly clear that a just cause and AJC Radio has uh, gone to serious lengths to let you know uh, in, in the fact that we believe in, in law enforcement. We have no problem with that. If we didn't have law enforcement in this country, uh, you can only imagine the condition of this country would be in. Uh, but we're dealing with those who have decided to lay the badge aside and do their own thing and go rogue. Uh, I think that's an important point to make, David. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think uh, I also want to try to unpack a little bit, if we can, uh, the recent shooting of the 16-year-old girl. Um, going to deal also, with that. Uh, the backlash that people are giving uh, to the systemic racism tag that's in the system. Uh, there are some justifications about that. Uh, many times people look at uh, the high-profile cases, George Floyd cases, but unfortunately, there are things that are occurring in the shadows that don't get a lot of public attention that 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 has shaped the view of African Americans uh, about the system, uh, and it doesn't have to be necessarily necessarily a killing, but uh, there is there is harassment by police, uh, frivolous charges, and various things that goes on that that blacks have experienced over uh, over quite some time now, and it, it has shaped their their view of the criminal justice system. So when when we talk about and some blacks talk about systemic racism. You have to understand not only what you're seeing on television, but the things that blacks ex have experienced, what I would call in the shadows outside media coverage. So some of those issues need to be brought to bear. That stuff gets socialized through the African-American community. And a lot of people have been impacted by mass incarceration. So the view of the system is not, uh, is not uh, unwarranted. Uh, sure. it's, it's just something that uh, America's, we have to continue to dig deep and unpack uh, what actually goes on uh, in this society that, that are not uh, matters of a large uh, public record. No, and they are just as it, they are as, you know, because it's not high profile, uh, does not take away the uh, the lack of trust in the system. Uh, and this is one of those things we're going to get back, we're going to get back into on the other side of the break. Uh, we're going to deal with these issues, address these issues, because they're critically important and have to be addressed. Uh, feel free to dial into the show tonight, folks, at 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. We do understand that uh, a great number of our listeners are listening online. Uh, but if you want to make a comment, feel free to call into the show uh, and give us your thoughts. 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. This plans to be a humdinger, folks. Hang on to your seats. Call a neighbor up. Call someone up and say, look, you have to listen to this show. Very informative. And we'll open a lot of eyes of a lot of people. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? 
The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. I stand for equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids that got shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf of the closet, under your sweatshirt. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets... In the boots with the red bases, and the chest beside the bed? I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always tell me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in. So what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. What if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? Nobody. My gun. But it is our gun. In our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you. But, Dad... You're not always here. When news and headlines following an act of gun violence fade away, who's left? The families. Gun violence is real, 
It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident. Although our country struggles to agree on a long-term solution to gun violence, we can all agree on one thing. Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have joined the club that we didn't ask to be a part of. There's families that are not getting the help that they need. It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have. So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love. Compassion and hope. Life for these families may not get any easier. Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever. But with the support of others, they will get stronger. We can help. The Christina Grady Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As, as we alluded to prior to the break, uh, dealing with the senseless killings, injuries, as David alluded to, sometimes people are not dying as a result of some of these assaults, but many are. Uh, but many people are being beaten, uh, injured, hospitalized, uh, and even in county jails, that lives are being taken away as a result, and I've heard it from the beginning of the George Floyd trial, of the culture that is implemented in law enforcement institutions across this country. This is a culture problem. And it does not mean that, uh, they're not, that they are not good officers in these institutions of law enforcement. You have plenty of them. Uh, at the time of George Floyd's death, when it took place, uh, I was alarmed but I was pleasantly alarmed by the number of officers that I saw on social media uh, in tears and blatantly said, and one of the officers said, look, I'm not going to be liked for this. George Floyd was murdered. And another captain of a, of a police department made the statement, we're not Derek Chauvin. That's not our police department. That's not who we are. Uh, to, to those officers, take a bow. Thank you for your service to this country and to the people whose lives have been saved as a result of law enforcement. You can't lump everybody in the same. You can't do it. Uh, but there are officers with the, the purpose of a just cause in AJC Radio tonight is one thing. Let's address the issues. Let's address the problems. Uh, and before we go forward, I do want to play this. This was major news uh, that took place this week. Uh, we're going to hear the verdict. Play the clip. Members of the jury, I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota, County of Hennepin, District Court, 4th Judicial District. State of Minnesota Plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin, Defendant. Verdict count one, court file number 27, CR 20-12646. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. 
This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.44 p.m. Signed juror four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.45 p.m. Signed by jury four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count three. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count three, second degree manslaughter, culpable negligence, creating an unreasonable risk, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April, 2021 at 1.45 p.m. Well, there you have it. The verdict, which is top news in the trial of George Floyd. Samson, your thoughts on the verdict? Well, actually, um, I remember I, like pulling over in my truck and watching it live on my phone, uh, getting alerts on it. And to say that that was a monumental moment in the criminal justice system and, and sad at the same time it is an understatement because, I mean, you're happy in the fact that this cop was found guilty of what he did. He murdered a man in front of the world. And for him to be convicted of that is justice, but only to a small extent because he's not facing the fact that he deprived a family of a son, of you know a relative. That whatever he gets as far as sentencing goes, it will never bring George Floyd back. But it does send a message out there. Again, like we said, we're not saying that all the cops are bad. We know that there are wonderful police officers, that are men and women in uniform that lay their lives on the line every single day. But this sends a message out there to those that would break the law, that would take the law in their own hands to become judge, jury, and executioner. That no, the people of the United States will not stand by and just watch you murder our brothers and sisters, regardless of the tone of their skin, we're going to say something. And the, the jury came back. They didn't deliberate that long. And they came back with, with the proper verdict in this case. Oh, without question. And I think, uh, Dave, you had a comment. Well, one of the things that gets me about this verdict is it's an unusual verdict. You don't see this happening. Since in ABC News reported on this this morning, since 2005, 140 officers have been charged with murder or manslaughter, and only seven have been convicted. And to see that, that shows why people don't trust the system. You see, jurors are automatically giving the benefit of the doubt to the officers where they should be impartial. It's, did this happen? Forget about whether the person is an officer. If this was an average person on the street, would they be convicted? A lot of times, yes, they would. But they're given the benefit of the doubt that the officer was just doing his job. And sometimes we have bad officers like Chauvin that weren't doing their job. They were just out to kill somebody. Well, I think the horrible thing here is when you have the conduct of an officer in any department across the country that does what Derek Chauvin did, the problem you have is that you now endanger the lives of officers who are doing their job. I remember last night I was uh, actually on TikTok and came across a officer who read something from his daughter. And she said to him, 
Daddy, hurry home. And he got on there and he, he was very emotional. He said, I got a call today. Last night saying, I hope you don't I hope you don't get home alive. And he was talking about the hate. He said, he said, all I do is put this uniform on and do my job. It was heart wrenching. And he said, if somebody hates me, they don't even know me. But he said, who you're hurting is this little girl. And the, the, the statement of the, le- the note that the little girl left was on top of the, his caption. And he said, but you're hurting my daughter. You're hurting her mom. If I don't come home, those people are going to hurt. Let me be clear again. To the officers that honor the badge, such as this man did, this is the danger of allowing a culture to cultivate to a point of killing, of murder, of hate, because of a person, listen to me very carefully, if, if George Floyd was a white man, I would be equally as outraged that his life was taken without cause. That's the bottom line. But in this case, our issue today in this country that has to be addressed are the taking of African-American people of color and killing them. That is the conversation. That is the discussion. And I, I go into this, I pivot now to this, um, and I'm sure folks have seen it, the, uh, the 16-year-old black girl that was fatally shot uh, by a white officer. We're going to get into that discussion really quick because I think it's important. This comes from uh, Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. The family of a 16-year-old black girl fatally shot this week by a white officer, police officer in Columbus, Ohio, claims the teen was acting in self-defense when law enforcement officials arrived on the scene. They claim Micaiah Bryant was armed with a knife because she was being attacked. However, based on the newly released footage captured by a neighbor's security camera, we know at least the claim she was just protecting herself when the police showed up simply is not true. The new video, which supplements footage captured by a responding police officer's body camera, shows the teenage girl instigating an altercation outside her foster home shortly after law enforcement officials arrived. The footage shows Brian knocking down one person to the ground while apparently shouting, I'm going to stab the bleep out of you. Bryant then turns around and attempts to stab the unarmed woman. That's when a police officer intervenes, shooting the teen four times and killing her. New video from a different angle shows the moments leading to the fatal shooting of Micaiah Bryant when she was lunging at another woman with a knife. The new tape raises serious questions about the the Bryant family's version of events. I actually had the opportunity today and last night to take a look at that footage. I want to say to our listeners, that officer was left with no choice. Had he not taken action, whoever this young lady was lunging at would most likely be dead. He took an oath to serve and to protect. It's simply not against an action against himself. And when you see the video, it is clear. The officer did not want to pull that trigger. But that knife 
lunging towards this young lady to the cost of her life. His job was to do what he did. The problem you have in this country right now, because of Derek Chauvin, because of other officers that have simply shot without any feeling or any explanation of why they did it, they make it very difficult for this police officer who did what he was supposed to do. And David, uh, the, the, that particular situation was justified. Without a doubt, and I, I uh, <clears throat> and I'm really irritated uh, with the unbalanced uh, response. Not every shooting is going to be uh, a Tamir Rice or every incident is going to be Eric Garner or George Floyd. There are justifiable incidents. Uh, I think anybody here would probably agree. What is the cop supposed to do if he's? What is he getting ready to stab your daughter or your wife or your son? What is that officer supposed to do? Because if he doesn't act, your daughter, your family member could be dead uh, with a knife to the neck or to the head or wherever to the heart. And the cop just stands there and he'd be taking all kind of criticism for not acting. Yep. And underneath those circumstances. So all I can say is get off. His name is Officer Reardon. You need to get off his back. Uh, he did what he was supposed to do. And it, it, is it still sad that this young lady, Micaiah, is, is gone? Yes, it's still a very sad situation. But this is clearly not George Floyd. And it's a situation where the officer acted responsibly to protect another person. No, without question. Kendrick? And I'm in total agreement because when you watch the video, he gave uh, the young lady several chances to comply with the order to put the knife down. Secondly, he was protecting another life. I mean, at that point, there's really nothing you can fault the officer on because what is he supposed to do? Now, when you contrast to like the Adam Toledo killing, which was the 13-year-old, he he gave orders to the 13-year-old. The 13-year-old complied and still died. Now, that's the one where it's like, okay, I can see the issue. But this one, this officer came to the scene, assessed the scene, and was, and in my opinion, did what he was trained to do was supposed to do. So I really can't fault him for this killing. It is tragic. I understand that the girl was kind of, in my view, she kind of lost it. She was enraged. Right. She wasn't thinking. And but you're in a situation where he was trying to protect another person's life. So on that one, I have to agree with you. And these and these are black men talking. So uh, I yep. just wanted the, the public to know that these are black men talking about this particular issue. Well, and then we have the issue in Nashville, and William, I'll come to you here in a second. Uh, authorities in Tennessee released body cam. Uh, this is back in March. Uh, dash cam footage of violent traffic stop outside Dollar General store that left a Metro Nashville police officer critically wounded, another woman dead. If you saw this, this was all over social media. Uh, uh, Nashville police officer Josh Baker uh, thought he was pulling over a wanted man when he stopped 31-year-old Nika Nicole Holbert late Friday morning. Uh, I will just tell you, I don't have to read any further on that, other than the fact on the video, it was the last thing that officer wanted to do. Uh, He was visibly shaken that that action happened. Uh, but the lady went back into the car, Nicole did, uh, grabbed a gun that was in her purse, pointed it at the officer. He had no choice. Um, the temperature of the country right now 
is at such a dangerous place because of what we have seen in the last several years. Uh, I think the tragic part about all of this, and to the officers and to their families that have been injured, uh, our prayers and thoughts are with you and your family. Um, Eric Gardner comes to mind as we reflect on George Floyd and that verdict. There was no difference in the killing of Eric Gardner than there was with uh, George Floyd. And I say this for one reason. He was choked out. He used the same language that Mr. Floyd used. I cannot breathe. I saw the video when the officers approached this man for selling cigarettes in New York. There is no hustle that really is not being done on corners of New York City, of people trying to make money or, or pay a bill or whatever. This man was selling cigarettes, which is, not, which is not even arrestable. Can't be really arrested for it. You can get a citation, maybe ticket. Hey, come to court. We'll see you then. I don't remember seeing any of this type of reasoning talked about with Eric Gardner. Eric Gardner put his hands up like this. He said, why are you bothering me? His hands in the air, unarmed, and they slammed that man. The number of officers slammed that man to the ground. He's a big gentleman. His, his breathing became labored immediately. He said, I can't breathe. The outrage was there, and... Those officers walked away with no charges. No charges. When does murder not get charged? You have Michael Brown in, in St. Louis. Shot to death. Walter Scott. Shot to death. Unarmed. Unarmed. These are the questions that are difficult to deal with. Armed serial killers. Murderers who take 10 people to the grave. He gets shot in the leg by officers. But not killed. America, please understand. It's common sense here. How does a man with an assault weapon leaving a area with a weapon? If that's the case, if you ever feared for your safety, that would be it. No such statement is made. Shot him in the leg. One of them had one of the shooters leaned up against the uh, uh, law enforcement SUV with bottled water. There's our scene. One of the, uh, one of the uh, uh, assailants in another shooting, he was taken by Burger King to have a meal on his way to county jail. South Carolina. That was the church, correct? Church in South Carolina. But Lamont, if I if I could hop in here, I think the biggest thing we are we are dealing with the temperature of our country. I mean, it finally after years, this is years of this happening, that things have started to people just say enough. 
enough. But, you know, I was just sitting here looking, just researching to this. Not only did – now, George Floyd was last year, okay? That was 2020. We're dealing with uh, Dante Wright. He was killed. Unarmed. Marvin Scott, second, another one that was pepper sprayed, restrained, and died of, of uh, asphyxiation in McKinney, Texas. We're dealing with Patrick Warren, who also died in Colleen, Texas. Officer-involved shooting. These are unarmed black men. And then there was one more. There was um, Vincent uh, Del Monte in Cleveland, Ohio, who died, uh, was shot by Cleveland police. That's just this year. That's that's four. Now, out of those four, one of those called national headlines because, again, it's in Minnesota and near George Floyd. So you think about this. The George Floyd case, it was, a, it was really a boiling point. But there's been many. There's been many cases. And now, you know, people are having to face it. They're having to face the reality of it. And so when you think about this, it's, it's, it, it is hard. It is truly hard to deal with. But we as a country have to look at the fact that we have this racial divide. The way police officers are treating minorities in this country is horrendous. And the thing that I have been saying, and I think we have been saying all along, if it had not been for cell phones, if it had not been for that little piece of equipment and the capability it has to capture video, Facebook Live, whatever, how many of these – I mean, George Floyd may not – that case may not even have happened. And even to your point, Lamont, the similarities between Eric Garner and George Floyd is so similar. Large men that were restrained in, a, in illegal chokeholds lost their lives, and you sit there and you say – What's the difference between these cases? George Floyd just so happened, I think, to hit the boiling point. And so when you think about that, you say, wow, where's the justice system? Where's the justice system? You know, where is it? Because the bottom line is, when you think about this, if it wasn't for the transparency of the court, for us as a nation to see what was going on in the courtroom. I think that played into it as well. So the transparency, accountability, these are things, these have to be forefront topics that we as a country have to deal with. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to get into further discussion. We'll take a quick break. On the other side of the break, listen, we're going to deal with these issues. We've got some clips that are really heart-wrenching. Again, it, the story has to be told. We're going to deal with that on the other side of the break. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio continues to speak for justice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters, our wives, and our friends. It's called sexual assault. And it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening, I was taught you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. 
We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. In the fabric of America, they are the toughest threads. One of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by. Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too. Because some veterans are being left behind. 20 of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com. Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world. The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252. That is a just cause. And we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to one out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are one out of three. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to serve longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called war on drugs. About 14% of American drug users are black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes, 46% are black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more black drug offenders than white ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for blacks than it is for whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trial and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. As of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform. Ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we again continue on this journey of the loss of life that has ran rampant in this country at an alarming rate. We would be remiss to make that statement and not speak to the death of George Floyd a year ago. It has been a moment in this nation of reflection, but of huge and very high emotions. As the world forced in a pandemic 
find themselves in front of a TV screen watching a man die by the knee of Derek Chauvin. People may ask, why is the emotion where it is? Because there was a time, I would hope or assume there was a time when life mattered. But for years, before technology has come to the point it has today, people were being killed. They were being taken out. That's a reality. And how many people and how many Derek Chauvin's took life that will never be accounted for? That perhaps was killed in an alley somewhere, in the back of a building, or a restaurant, in any city in this country. But because no one captured it, people continue to die. As I thought about George Floyd today, my mind went to other killings that have taken place that we have been scratching our heads saying, why? William, speak to Philando in Minnesota. You know, this is, um, this is a case that happened with Philando Castillo, who was the young man who was shot and killed by a police officer. He was shot four times in his car. And the similarity with George Floyd was really amazing because you sit there and you watch watched it unfold. He was a man that had a firearm and identified that, hey, I do have a firearm. I was not going for it. He did everything by the book. And we saw it. We saw it all play out. And the police officer, his name was uh, Geronimo Yanez, I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, was charged with second-degree murder and was acquitted. And the thing about it is, doing reading that case, it said that he may have been, that actual case, and the, officer, the police officer in that case, may have been the first case in Minnesota history that was actually, he was actually charged uh, with the fatal shooting while on duty. Well, let's do this, William. Let's let our listeners hear the interaction of what took place. We'll speak to it here momentarily. A, as I watched that last night again, you simply have no answer. Uh, Valendro was not disrespectful. He was not doing anything in that moment but pulled over because of a traffic stop. The, his little girl in the back seat, watching her father die, needlessly. And he said, when I heard the language of Philandro, he said, I do have a permit. I do have a weapon. He says, the officer asked for his license. He reaches for his license. Senseless. Life taken too soon. The little girl will never be the same. The fiance will never forget that. These are scars 
for years to come. Let's play the clip. It took just seconds for a routine traffic stop to turn deadly. And today, graphic video of the encounter was made public just a few days after a Minnesota police officer was found not guilty of manslaughter. Rea Villarreal reports. The newly released dash cam video shows the moment when Officer Geronimo Yanez stopped Fernando Castile for a broken taillight last July. First, asking Castile for his license and registration. I have to tell you, I do have a okay. firearm on okay. me. Don't reach for it, then. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. Within 90 seconds of making the stop, the 29-year-old officer fired seven shots. Castile's girlfriend, Diamond Reynolds, was in the passenger seat. She streamed the immediate aftermath on Facebook Live. I told him not to reach for it. I told him to get his hand out. He had, you told him to get his ID, sir, and his driver's license. Oh, my God, please don't tell me he's dead. Please don't tell me my boyfriend just went like that. Keep your hands where they are, please. Yes, I will, sir. I'll keep my hands where they are. As Officer Yanez continued to point his weapon at Castile, you can see an officer coax and pick up Reynolds' then four-year-old daughter, who was in the back seat during the shooting. Get the baby out of here! Yanez was quickly suspended from the St. Anthony, Minnesota Police Department and soon indicted for manslaughter. During the trial, Yanez said he feared for his life and thought Castile, a 32-year-old school cafeteria worker, was pulling out a gun he was licensed to carry. Friday, the jury acquitted Yanez of all charges. Valerie Castile is Philando's mother. My firstborn one son died here in Minnesota. Under the circumstances, just because he was a police officer, that makes it okay. Oh, now they got free reign. He's found innocent on all counts. Castile family members were reportedly stunned when they saw the video during the trial. And Anthony, according to their attorney, they are planning to file a lawsuit against the city as well as the police department here. Maria, thanks. Orlando made it very clear. I have a weapon. Permit to carry. He asked for his license. He's reaching for his license. He had an intent to take your life, officer. Why would he tell you he has a gun? He wouldn't have said it. He simply, at the time the officer asked for his license, he would have pulled the gun and shot him, or at least an attempt to do it. He talked very calm. You know why? It's a traffic stop. I'm not expecting to die at a traffic stop. Seven times, seven bullets in this man's body. Seven? At close range. In a matter of feet. Seven shots in a matter of feet. I mean, most people that realize, you think about that, if you've been pulled over by police officers, they're standing just feet outside of your door. He launched seven shots in there. His his was his wife or his fiance was in the pa- fiance is in the passenger side, and then the baby's in the back. And again, there was no. You try to see, okay, was there any aggression? Was there any? 
I saw the video. Yeah, but in reality, it doesn't even pay to be honest with police if you're black. So he tells you he has a, a, a permit to carry a weapon. It's in the car. You tell him to get his driver's license. Then he gets, this man gets off for, for shooting somebody, talking about he was scared. What are you doing with a badge and out on the street? And, and so he gets justified for killing him. I feared for my life. How do you fear for your life when you tell the man to get his driver's license and you shoot him? And he volunteers information. Well, my, all, he, all he was actually doing was obeying the law. You know, if you're a registered gun, gun owner, whether it's a, a, a handgun or a concealed carry, you're required. You, they teach you in those classes. You have to. If you get pulled over, you have your weapon with you. You have to declare to the officer. So all he did during this entire traffic stop was comply with what he knew was the law. And he obeyed the orders, and they still killed him in front of his family. Yes, and it, it's, it, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And they, and they tell you. Now, now what Samson said is true. But if you're a black man and, you're, and you have a weapon, they'll tell you you're at risk. Well, if, if you, have, you can be licensed all day long to have that gun. That gun could be visual in the car, and they could see it. It could be it could be unloaded. You're still at risk. That and that's and that's what when you see that video, that man played it. He did exactly what he should have done. Well, he, this is what raises the question, and let me reiterate again: there are good officers out there. I've been pulled over by good officers, respectful officers. That ne- and I'm a black man that never treated me any other way than good. So, again, to those officers, we say thank you for treating us with dignity and respect. I didn't even know this was a thing that happens. I got pulled over for a ticket, went to court, and the judge said to me, the officer, which I didn't know happened, because the officer did demonstrate that you were polite, you were professional with him, and you uh, treated him with respect, and you were basically cooperative, it reduced the fine. I didn't know they read the back of the ticket that Mr. Banks was, he was cordial, he was respectful. Uh Good officers out there. Well, I have a similar story. Uh, Many years ago, I got pulled over by an officer in Denver. And I missed a court date or something like that, traveling or something, missed a court date. So he's going to take me in on a bench warrant. But it was, it's like, I understand you're doing your job. I don't have any problem with it. I'm the one who missed the court date. So I'm not going to get bent out of shape because you're doing your job. But uh, we talked about, he put me in cuffs, put me in the back of the car. We talked about sports, religion, everything under the sun, our families and all the other types of stuff. And he commented to me, he said, this is, he says, on the force for 17 years. He said, this is the most pleasant stop I've ever had in 17 years of being a police officer. I am a black man. So, uh, the fact that you paint, uh, that, that you would try to paint all police officers with the same broad brush as somebody like a Derek Chauvin or even this guy that killed Philando Castile. This stuff is, uh, these officers, 
that commit such acts are just completely out of control. And and the, the fact of the matter is, uh, if we don't have a more balanced conversation about between the good officers and the bad officers, uh, it's going to further divide this country in a very negative and uh, just polarizing way. It's going to continue to get more and more polarized. Well, listen, AJC Radio took the time to remember those that honor the badge. Uh, the Fountain Deputy Chief of Police of Fountain, Colorado, was in studio with us, if you remember that. Stories that will bring tears to your eyes. There's not a dry eye in the in the studio of the acts of kindness and help that was given to people in this community. Uh, so, again, I have to say that for those joining the show later uh, uh, than sooner, uh, we believe in law enforcement. We believe in uh, the dignity of that of, of officers that give, put their lives on the line every single day. We say thank you. But tonight we deal with a troubling issue. Uh, officers that simply are not doing that. And it's our job as advocates to address address those issues. William, go ahead. Well, you know, another point here I wanted to make make sure that we cover is that, you know, these, these officers, it's not necessarily white officers that are the problem either. You know, I was looking here at, at the case with Freddie Gray. You know, Freddie Gray was the yep. young black man in Baltimore. Now, there were six officers that were responsible for him. He did not make it to his destination. He was in, in custody. Three of those officers were black. Three of those officers were white. And you think about it, and I, 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 and I want to bring that up because it's clear. It's clear that these once they put something, these bad apples, these bad actors, these bad characters, once they put on that that uniform, they feel embodied to treat people however they they treat them, they however they want to. So, you know, I wanted I wanted to bring that up because being a police officer doesn't mean speak to a specific race. It's how they're treating our, our this this unchecked behavior that a lot of them have or some of them have i can't say a lot of them but some of them have and we saw it with Derek show we saw it with laquan mcdonald we saw it with michael brown you you and we are going to continue to see it until there becomes some accountability in the, with our policing system and says listen you just can't treat people this way regardless of their color you do not have the right as a police officer to, to just abuse your power no, and that's the that's the issue at hand right now is uh, how do we find solutions here? Um, you're hopeful that the George Floyd. There are things that happen in society that affect the human race forever. In our history books, uh, our children, our children's children will read books. And they will read of the death of George Floyd and what happened. It's history now. Uh, will that institute change? Kendrick. And we're just hoping, you know, with, with the Derek Chauvin conviction, you're hoping that a, an era of accountability happens. If we can just get accountability, that would make police officers who are, you know, not above board, to think twice at least, to, to say, you know what, let me follow the procedures 
and the laws that I that I need to when I'm arresting anyone. If we and if we can just get that into our culture, now like again, we can't change people's hearts or what they think about you, but if we can just get them to, you know, let's focus on making sure that I treat everyone with the same level of respect, of respect, because when you put it in contrast, even though we spoke earlier about the young 16-year-old girl that that was killed, and you look at the two mass shootings we just had, where an officer was killed by one of the mass shooters, he's still brought in alive. And when you look at it from that viewpoint, it's like you know, I understand the the girl was putting another life at danger in danger, but it's still you look at well, how come two other individuals that were not black that had killed multiple people and were firing at law enforcement still was able to come in and get arrested and, and, and basically have their day in court. You know, that's um, I mean, what do you say? David? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you were mentioning earlier a month in regards to the technology and how many other times this happened that's undocumented or not captured. One of the, the heroes here, and I, I, I just bring a light to it, uh, Darnella Frazier, she was the one that caught everything on on her Facebook and put it on, and posted on Facebook Live. The reason why I mentioned that, remember the, watching the trial, Derek Chauvin said that he was restrained, he had difficulty uh, breathing, and he died in regards uh, – that was it. That was a police report. So again, so you have this, and, and, and I agree with everyone saying on this, accountability. If it wasn't captured, it would have been another unarmed black man that was murdered, but she had the courage enough to stand there along with a couple other and, to, and tape that and upload it to say, no, this is – and we say accountable. We have to have certain measures to say when you are pulled over and – and, and, and to Castile's point, he's obeying. You keep hearing, uh, you, you have to obey, comply, and we're doing that. So I think with, with the technology, that's a, a huge part of just uh, having that accountability. Oh, absolutely right. And uh, we're going to continue this discussion. Right now, we're joined by Tracy, uh, our friend Tracy Furniton. She joined this show a couple weeks ago, um, brought some true insight to uh, what's going on in the, in the country right now. And, uh, uh, we want to welcome her back right now. Tracy, are you with us? I'm here, Lamont, and everyone. Hello. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's been busy. It's been quite an emotional roller coaster of sorts, right? Um, but I'm sure. I'm happy to be with all of you. Great minds. Great minds hey, and we, hearts. So. Well, we we appreciate you so much for taking time. I understand you're on a, a time clock. Uh, the the clock yeah. is ticking. You have about 30 minutes, so right now 25 minutes with us, right? I do, yeah. Okay. Yep, and then i got to get back to some things at work. <laughs> no worries on that. We appreciate you taking a few Thank minutes you. with us. Uh, and I'm going to get your perspective on a couple of things. And um, we were talking about Eric Gardner earlier, uh, that his death was very similar to George Floyd, almost identical mm -hmm. other than the body part that choked him out, uh, which took mm -hmm. the life of Eric Gardner. I'm going to play a quick uh, clip, uh, and then Tracy, I'm going to come back and get your thoughts as we get into discussion on that as well. Play the okay. clip. Damn. 
you know, I, there's so many thoughts going on and I, in my head right now and my heart still, it, it's, it's fresh. It's not gone with Eric Gardner. It's, you know, this social media aspect of the, the public seeing more. Um, I, I just have been thinking a lot about our conversation we had last week and about the hardened of hearts or the uptick in, in police violence and, and really thinking about that and thinking about how we already know this has been going on and now we're linking it together. We're putting it out there. We're unfortunately, it, it is still happening in broad daylight, but yet we, we have these, these uh, brave young soldiers out there now with phones and we have people out there ready to um, make this known. And, and we're, and, and I just have to say, yeah, this is the uh, um, ugly reality of America. We have been experiencing African-Americans have been experiencing this type of torturous, cruel, unequal punishment under the law, supposedly here and unconfronted and um, unconfronted. And I'm really, really, um, you know, I just, I, all this together with the message itself in that I can't breathe in the desperation of a man unarmed, uh, not saying that, uh, and the coldness, where is the humanity in the peace, quote unquote, officer that doesn't hear that desperation? I want to yeah. know more about that. I, no, I, I, I'm on a, yeah, you see, I, I want to know more about what is this, this coldness oh. inside our officers, it's lots of really, them, not all. Right, right. And, and we make that point yeah. clear here. I hear it and cannot stop the tears. I'm 51 mm. years old. That shakes me every time still. Uh, to see somebody hurting, to see somebody, it's, it's uncomprehendable to me. I think with the verdict that comes out on Derek Chauvin, people are responding and they're happy that justice happened. But the president uh, mm. made a statement, um, which I thought was appropriate. He said, today's verdict is a step forward. Mr. Biden said, adding nothing can ever bring their brother, their father, back. But this can be a giant step forward in the march towards justice in America. A growing number of lawmakers also expressed relief and gratitude in response to the verdict. Congress has taken up police reform legislation, but disagreements over certain provisions have led the measures to stall. But I'd like the reality check that Senator Chuck Schumer made, and he's made this statement, the Senate Majority Leader says, the verdict serves as an official proclamation of what so many of us have known for nearly a year, that George Floyd was murdered by an officer who was sworn to protect and serve. Here's the point he makes. We should not make the mistake of a guilty verdict in this case as evidence that the persistent problem of police misconduct has been solved or that the divide between law enforcement and so many of the communities they serve has been bridged, Schumer said. We must remain diligent in our efforts to bring meaningful change to police departments across the country 
and the Senate will continue that work as we strive to ensure George Floyd's tragic death will not be in vain. And David, that statement, let's not get ahead of, 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 of what's going on here. Does that solve the issues within our criminal justice system from the police officers to the courtrooms? Schumer is saying, don't go there. Well, because well, we haven't gotten there yet. Your thoughts on that? Well, you can't go there. Uh, we're dealing with the situation right now. And the killing of black men are the worst case scenarios. And worst case scenario, when you do see Eric Garner and uh, Dar- and uh, Greg, uh, George, Floyd. George Floyd, I'm calling him Greg Floyd, George Floyd, those are the worst case scenarios where somebody's life is taken. But across this country, people are, the interactions with police by black Americans are negative in so many contexts. We're dealing with the issue right here in, in our in our in our city, yes. where a, a detective decided he was going to uh, charge uh, church parishioners who have no criminal record with felony crimes because they went to a corporate apartment to secure their property, and and the and the tenant there pulled a gun on them and then stole the property. And that's Detective Brian Carrado. That's correct. And, and so people say, well, why do, why do the mm-hmm. blacks still think there's a systemic racism? Well, it's not the George Floyd and the, uh, and the Tamir Rice and those type cases are the, can be considered almost outliers, but they are very much the most heinous uh, types of misconduct there is. But on a daily basis, Thousands of people and African-Americans are interacting with police. They call police for help, and then they end up getting targeted by police. It are these types mm-hmm. of issues that drive uh, the narrative and the reality that there's something desperately wrong. There's some, something systemically racist about the criminal justice system when, when th- there's a disproportionate uh response and disproportionate unfairness to people of color in this country and it's something that uh they think George Floyd's verdict is going to going to sell it no these things are still going on thousands of interactions with police are being treated uh are are negative for many african americans people say well he didn't get killed well if you put felony convictions on somebody and they go to prison uh is that not uh, still wrong, and then you have judges and prosecutors that will support the wrong of these police, and then they they talk about due process. Well, if the process is not fair, what good is due process? So I, I just think uh, it's something that uh, is a much larger uh, problem, Tracy. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think it is a larger problem, and it makes me think about. You know, organizations normally, if you have like, um, I would think, you know, kind of something happening within your organization that's causing, um, you know, any type of bad outcome for your organization, wouldn't you want to come back, reproach, do something different? And I see just rigid, no, we don't want to change what we've been doing. And human life being taken by officers isn't good enough or more isn't enough for them to say, "Mm, maybe we should see if that tail's behind us. And and that's discouraging and I think concerning 
and that is the systematic level too. I think it is also the culture, but when we get down to, you know, I've been thinking about that culture thing too. And I've been thinking a lot about the organization I work for and, you know, how I really would love them to copy us and trauma informed. Let me say the definition of trauma informed itself is an understanding of trauma and and an awareness of the impact it can have across settings, services, and populations. And with trauma-informed approaches, you want to create um, comfortable, safe um, spaces for people. Um, and and so, all that being said, so that that's a layer. That 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 trauma-informed part is a layer. We know it. I think that it's not just a trend. And then you see organizations such as police departments um, really resistant and calling it a trend which I think is very dangerous because then you also political, you know, you politicize also this issue, which I see is very, this is, this is really hurtful. It's, you have these, you know, public murders um, and public, even if it's, you know, the, you know, these situations, people's lives are being taken for whatever, you know, whatever the details may be, we're seeing this live and we're seeing it. And, and some are kids, and this is going to start shaking more people, um, I would think. But the thing is that really needs to happen is from within the, in the internal organizations need to support their officers so their officers feel safe. I know I feel safe in my environment at work to disagree with others. I feel safe um, to speak up and say something different than maybe my coworker is saying or thinking. Um you know, we're all from different political and, and faith-based, different, all different things. But, but the culture of, of supporting an organization that has diverse people and serves diverse people, there is an approach in the organizational support right there that needs to happen within police departments, I believe. That's not there. It's right. not there. Right. And, and look, uh, there, again, we talked about... Uh, the impact of George Floyd uh, around the globe, uh, internationally, mm-hmm. uh, people from not the United States that were outraged in tears of what they saw. With, with, with that said, uh, let me give a shout out to Angela Gordon. She's a persistent and consistent Angela. listener. Yes. Um, Hi, Angela. Is, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, she's, she's consistent. Uh, of listening to our show and every and she's in Canada uh and mm. says look we I haven't heard anything like this that she's heard on AJC radio and tuned in faithfully and Angela very very special <laughs> shout out to you uh for taking time to listen to our show we are so glad that we're able to um have dialogue and information that has touched your life we appreciate that and and ask you to spread the word around Canada that hey AJC Radio is talking about something that matters. We appreciate it so very, very much. And to all of our listeners internationally, uh, a couple of folks from Australia, uh, uh, the UK, uh, have tuned into this show, uh, and we appreciate that. But I say that because everybody recognizes, I think, internationally and worldwide, that there's a problem going on here. You have to talk Mm -hmm. about it. And this is something that's critically important. And to, to Tracy's point, um, 
well, there's a lot of changes that have to happen. There's a lot of uh, effort that has to be made here to uh, to bring us to where we need to be. And, and I'm prayerful, hopeful um, that this unfortunate uh, actions and behavior in the George Floyd case and others uh, that are, are so so many you can't even count them all uh, that change would be instituted in this country and around the world. Um, we have a problem here in our own backyard and we have to deal with it. Clint? Yeah, we definitely have a long way to go. I'm uh, reminded of uh, an organization, the Marshall Project, where they uh, filed a report earlier this year, uh, to David's point, uh, on a city where police unleash dogs on black teens. And Tracy, this will be of interest to you. With Many of these teens are under 17 years old and... Uh, the police are unleashing uh, dogs to go after them on uh, nonviolent, uh, suspected of nonviolent behavior. Uh, kids on their mm -hmm. bikes, police in the police car, unleashing a dog uh, on the kids to pull them out. And there have been uh, bites, and, 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 and many of them, uh, over 150, uh, are reported. And it's just something that shows. Not everything is the worst case scenario, but the hard heartedness of the police um, mm -hmm. doing things like this. And much of it is not caught on camera, but it's definitely something mm -hmm. that shows we have a long way to go uh, in, wow. in, in a lot of this uh, uh, behavior. Wow. The, that's uh, at the Marshall Report, uh, February of this year. Uh, they uh, reported on in Baton Rouge. Uh, uh, oh. Uh, Louisiana, the police department uh, unleashed uh, dogs on 159 cases that were reported. Wow. It's, uh, it's a really, really bad situation. Um, wow. Oof. That's one of the, yeah. That's ethical. That's, that's a, I don't understand who is the oversight sometimes, right. wondering who's the oversight in these. Um, you know, that's an ethics violation in my field. And I work with the same populations. Mm -hmm. I I have no words, but I could go on forever and say, you know, what's your calling? What what do you what did what made you become a police officer? Um, I in service to what inspires you? What and if it you know I I just think about calling what because you know I, all of us we're all called to do something right? You guys me all of us like i feel a calling and i just gotta wonder what's going on and why is that why is the people that are having the most authority over us communities of color um and the vulnerable why why are we at, why are everyone that's the target of this and, oh, and there's absolutely. no oversight no <laughs> absolutely try to uh, yeah. listen let me say thank you from uh, AJC Radio at Just Calls. Um, I am sensitive to your time. We're right at the brink. Of the, we're back up against that for your time that you had for this show. Uh, your perspective yeah. is always refreshing. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, but I have thank to respect you. your time because you have to go back to work, I think you said, to handle some, yeah, some matters. Do. Yes. So listen. To my youth. My youth are talking to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you for what yep. you do. Thank you. Thank you for giving back to community. Have a great uh, mm -hmm. evening, a great weekend, and we will definitely be in touch offline. Okay. Yes. You all too. God bless. Okay. Take care. You have it.
Tracy Farnington, um, good perspective. Uh, Dennis, you had a comment? I was just, uh, when we were talking about how, you know, policing is and how it's just so unfair and it's so, uh, it's, you got uh, individuals that are mass murderers, and you spoke about that earlier in the show, and how they, you know, that without incident, uh, you know, they're taken. And then you have individuals sitting in a car uh, doing absolutely nothing or, you know, uh, you know, got an air freshener on their mirror and they're dead. So there's a big difference in, in, in how uh, minorities are treated. It's and clear. I just wanted to bring that up. We yeah. really need to look at that. That's something that, you know, we're, we're looking on the black side, but, but let's go over to the other side. Let's look at how are other races treated. And in this sense, you know, you got somebody that killed nine people and they get shot in the leg. You got a person, like I said, driving a car with an air freshener and they're dead. We do have a problem and we really need to look at it, you know, to make sure we understand that this is not right. No, and I agree with that. Uh, we had the gentleman uh, at the Wendy's drive through I don't remember his name. Uh, he was one of the guys that fell asleep. He had got a little. He was a little intoxicated. Uh, he was parked in the drive. He didn't go in and say, "I need a hundred burgers and at gunpoint." He was sleeping in his car, uh, and they pulled him out of his car. And he said, "Man, I had a little too much, but thanks, officers, for waking." He was not in any way threatening. Had no weapon. They shot him dead. They shot him dead. The guy that was selling CDs. Close range shot in the chest with almost an empty clip. And a close range. That was Alton Sterling and, and Rayshard Brooks was the gentleman you talked about. In the drive-thru. In the drive-thru at Wendy's. And I saw the video. There was just nothing there to kill this guy. I mean, you know, and, and you're thinking about this stuff. This stuff is recent. Rayshard Brooks was, was June of last year. It was June of last year. That was in Atlanta, Georgia. It is it is it is mind boggling. It is troubling, David. Well, you know why we can't uh, sometimes make progress on this issue. I listen to both sides of the aisle as far as news is concerned. Conservative talk radio, uh, Fox News. I also listen to CNN and other uh, more liberal outlets. And the constant message that seems to be on the on the conservative side is. They try to always come up with the red herring argument, talking about nobody's concerned about the blacks uh, or making hay about the blacks being killed by other blacks. That doesn't distract uh, detract from what's going on here. So they're always trying to bring up some sort of issue to deflect because they don't want you talking about police. Well, if police are committing these acts, then they need to be talked about. You talk about the wrong acts of African-Americans and they everybody wants police will give them the benefit of the doubt they're trying to save people they're trying to protect us that's all well and good and they should be respected for that but at the same time why can't average people be respected average black people for not just being a uh, uh or being labeled as a criminal uh or some dangerous black animal that 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 these police are killing and i'm just tired of the narrative i hear on the other side talking about well Many more blacks are being killed on black on black crime as if 
that diminishes uh, cops abusing their power and, and government abuse of power and oppressing people uh, by killing African-Americans. Why can't you do both issues can be dealt with. If you're that concerned with it, uh, then then you bring up the subject if you think it's that important instead of just using it as a red herring to discuss, uh, uh, to deflect from police abuses. Dave, to follow your thoughts. When you look at this, the public has got to demand that there is changes in how police are looked at, how their um, how their actions are are brought to, brought to light. Because you look more and more that you hear about a shooting, and there are three officers on site, and only one has his body cam on. Well, all of them had the body cams, but the other two didn't turn it on. Or you have a situation where the thin blue line, they're covering up these situations. Things need to change, and the good officers on the force are the ones that have to initiate that change, and then the public has to back them up. Well, let me turn the page a little bit uh, to David's point earlier regarding Detective Brian Corrado here in Colorado Springs, Colorado Springs Police Department. Um, the faith in a system that attacks without cause a church, as David alluded to in that case, property had been church property had been stolen, uh, or attempted, or a plan put in place to steal the church property. Uh, officers of the church went to the residence of an act of kindness that was reached out. Uh, to this couple, uh, Arnisha and uh, Nick Gaynor, uh, as a kindness, a hand up, so to speak, is the church many times will uh, give a hand up for people who are destitute. In this case, the Gaynors were. Uh, the church had on hand property in the event for families after families after families that may need help. Uh, to provide furniture and things of that nature to a corporate apartment uh, under the church's name. Ultimately, Mr. Corrado, as David said earlier, uh, the officers of the, of, the, of the church went to tell the gainers, look, you, you've decided to leave the church. You've decided not to follow protocol or the values that the church institutes, which is your right to do. Uh, but we need to get the property for the next family that we may choose to give a hand up to. We need the property. They were, this was peaceful. Um, and it's going. To, we have strict facts to state that. Um, Mr. Corrado not one time made an effort to contact church officers to get their side of what happened. It was more of you did this, you did that, not to conduct an investigation. If I called the police tonight and say, hey, this person broke into my house and stole furniture out of my home. Well, they're going to call me. They're going to talk to me and get my report. And their words to me in situations in the past, well, let's find out what they say and let's see what's going on. Didn't do it in the, in the, in the church's situation. Uh, walked and done some things that were blatantly wrong. He left the role of detective and basically by, by, with, with extreme bias uh, against the church and its members uh, 
brought false charges. The district attorney's office in El Paso County brought false charges led out by Detective Brian Corrado of the CSPD. Um, so as David said earlier, we have a problem. And what is so bizarre about all of it, the Colorado Springs Fellowship Church are the folks that called the police. They called the police to say a gentleman pulled the gun. And they turned around and made us the villain, the church the villain, and those officers of the church. And then they, uh, and then they wonder why black people don't trust the call police. Call the police. Why should we call the police? You're just going to come here and make us a target. Exactly right. And they say, well, why do you feel that way about police? Because of issues just like this. Just like this. George Floyd, like you said, is the worst case scenario when, when police respond. But there are many other, other areas where police respond and blacks are treated unfairly. You, you can come there and slap me. You don't have to kill me. You can talk down to me. You don't have to kill me. You can treat my kid like he's a piece of trash. That's not killing me. And then none of that stuff gets attention. It happens in the shadows, outside media attention, and with no videotape. And that has done more to erode African-American trust in police than just the George Floyd type of cases. And they see this stuff all the time. And, and it happens on a more frequent basis. Than what we know. Yeah, and then the, many white Americans are unaware that this stuff is even occurring. They're outraged by the George Floyd uh, situation because it was such a heinous act by, by Derek Chauvin. Well, Colorado Springs Fellowship has a, really is a true pillar of the community when it comes to outreach. Uh, this is not about cop hating. Uh, Congressman's Fellowship and his pastor reached out to CSPD during the Eric Gardner death because that's when the, the country became uh, dangerously divided against police officers. Uh, pastor Rose, who was the pastor of Congressman's Fellowship Church, said, I want to reach out to these officers and let them know that we care. The church went as far as to feed breakfast and lunch to the entire police department of the Colorado Springs Police Department, as well as the, de the sheriff's uh, office, uh, all shifts. So a step was taken further is Colorado Springs Fellowship, in cooperation with the Just Calls, started a forum of called Let's Talk, bringing the poli chief of police, Kerry at that time, uh, sheriff, uh, at Bill, that time, of, Bill Elder, uh, Elder, Mr. Elder, uh, got together and said, "Look, we care. Let's talk to the community." Uh, went as far as to open the doors of her church uh, to make this happen again. Cooperation with the Just Cause. Let's talk. Brought the community together to ask those questions to say we do care. We care that you make it home safe. We care about what's going on in this country, but we want you to know that this church, Colorado Springs Fellowship and Pastor Rose Banks, is committed to instituting change in a positive way in this community. And so Mr. Detective Corrado has no leg to stand on to attack the church. Well, and, and let, let me interject one thing. The El Paso County District Attorney was also a part of the Let's Talk. Then they... Dan May at the time, and he was invited in and came in and came in. And then 
the church gets stabbed in the back because they don't want to do anything about a rogue. The blue wall of silence is still there in a lot of places. And the mayor was contacted. Uh, the chief of police was contacted. But all of them just sit back, do nothing, and let uh, the church get stabbed in the back by, by a rogue police officer. And it's kind of ironic to me because whenever you see uh, like protests in the community or when it gets kind of violent, how they call for the church leaders to talk to people and calm them down and basically fulfill their social contract. But why, on the other hand, can't you trust in law enforcement to basically do their job? And College Springs Fellowship did that, just as you mentioned prior with the outreach it was it was a time that they were that the, that uh cosmic Coast was trying to bring the community together let's understand each other but what do you do when someone just says hey thank you for doing your side of the job but we're not going to hold uphold our end and that's kind of how you feel sometimes with with law enforcement is you're able to break the law in time at, at times not follow the law and there's no accountability no repercussions but the, the you know a full weight of the law is thrown on citizens when they're just trying to basically exercise their right to have a to have fair treatment. Look, when do you attack acts of kindness? Those things we're going to deal with that. Mr. Carrado uh, is what I call a bad apple uh, in the bunch. We've met officers in the community uh, very very respectful of what uh, uh, of what's being done in outreach by this church. And, uh, and our hats off to them. Nothing but respectful. Uh, when you cross the line, and in this case, Detective Corrado crossed the line, uh, we're talking about accountability. He must be held accountable for what he's done. And the reputation of Colorado Springs Fellowship in this community is above reproach. Uh, Pastor Rose Banks is above reproach. Uh, the acts of kindness, not only to the police department, uh, we wouldn't even have enough time on a show for all the things that Colorado Springs Fellowship Church has done in reaching out, not to the homeless population in this city, to the, uh, the hospitals, to the nurses, to uh, emergency response individuals, first responders, the fire department. You attack, you wait and attack a church doing this doesn't make any sense. It's a black church, so hey, I guess go. I guess what can you what can you expect? You're gonna hear more about that, folks. Stand by. You're gonna hear more about that in a very big way. Uh, Samson. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking about you know when you were talking about all that this church and its pastor, its members have done to reach out to this community. It only makes this detective's acts that much more heinous. Um, the fact that he would not only side with a felon who was wielding a gun to against men that have absolutely no criminal record whatsoever, but then he's going to side with them, uh, again, along with the district attorney, and basically allow church property to be stolen. I mean, it makes it that much more heinous. These, this, this church, this pastor, you know, has literally like given sacrificially to the community they've been a part of for 40 years, and this is the thanks that they get. But they continue to give. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, deal, again, we'll deal with those issues. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, but to David's point, all of that comes into play 
Um, it's not the the killings are huge. They are heinous. But the treatment of African Americans, he said, in regards to calling police, we want to deal with that on the other side of this break uh, and deal with Daniel Prove that story uh, and how the police were called in that case. Mr. Prove died that night. We're going to deal with that on the side of the break. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Fired police officer who shot and killed a man. When I first saw the Instagram footage, like a lot of people here in Oakland, I was outraged. As soon as I heard about it and I went online and I seen what had happened, tears came down my eyes. It was something that was very alarming as a police officer and as a citizen of Oakland. It was like such a blatant murder. You have a city in trauma. Anyone that's seen that and looks at it is in trauma. My hope is that people will express their concern with police brutality, but they will do so in constructive ways that don't include violence. We cannot perpetrate this cycle of harm and violence in the community. Because we do have to live here and they terrorize the city and it's only going to make it worse for us. They killed our young you can protest, you can try to make a change, but there is a positive way you can do it. And make sure we let the police know and that we're aware that stuff ain't right out here. We're trying to fix it. In a way that is about using your voice for justice and making Oakland a safer place for everyone to live and get along as one. Violence is not just Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Violence is not justice. Sergeant Michelle Garcia served meritoriously in Iraq and has the medals to prove it. Soon after leaving the Navy, Lieutenant Chris Scott found a job, a home, and started a family of his own. Foreman Richard Stokely took the skills he learned in Vietnam and put them to good use as a paramedic. But soon after leaving the military, each of these veterans fell on hard times and faced homelessness. Even after Michelle lost all her savings, even after Chris wasn't able to pay his mortgage, and even after Richard battled alcoholism for years, They each reached out for help when they needed it most. A simple phone call put them in touch with a trained professional from the Department of Veterans Affairs. That call got Michelle a place to stay until she could afford one of her own, put Chris in touch with employment assistance, and found Richard a substance abuse program. These veterans are success stories not only for how they were able to help others while serving their country, but for how they were able to let others help them. If you know of or are a veteran in need, make the call. Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison for crimes they did not commit. What you may not know is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for a murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything. His family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to innocenceproject.org to find out how you can help.
Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents who are incarcerated? These children cope with the pain through drugs, alcohol, anger, and violence. It is so important. So important. It is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone. Become a part of the community. 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 Become a part of the community. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we have continued our discussion on the condition of this nation in regards to law enforcement and senseless acts uh, that we have witnessed over the last several years, and even what's happening that perhaps has not made national news. Um, These are important topics that we have to talk about. I'm sure everybody heard of the uh, lieutenant, the officer that was pulled over uh, uh, by the police, pepper sprayed for absolutely no reason at all. We're going to play the clip, then we're going to have a discussion. Let's play. Serving this country, and this is how you're going to treat me? I didn't do anything. Whoa, hold on. What's going on? Hold on. Watch it. And that was Windsor, Virginia police officer Joe Gutierrez. Get out of the car and get on the ground now and you're going to get again. This body camera footage shows him terrorizing and assaulting U.S. Army Lieutenant Corona Nazario. and get out of the car. Look, I'm just going to just please. You're going to do what you're told. Get out of the car. Video is part of a million dollar lawsuit Nazario recently filed. And now the town of Windsor, Virginia has fired Gutierrez. In a statement, city leaders said an investigation determined Gutierrez did not follow policies sent by the police department. During this December 2020 incident, even the other officer, Daniel Crocker, at times seemed uncomfortable with Gutierrez. Get out of the car! Sir, get out of the car! Work with us and we'll talk to you! After Gutierrez told Crocker to step away and pulled out the pepper spray canister, Crocker stepped back up to the vehicle. Also, watch Officer Crocker's expression after Gutierrez asked Nazario if he's one of the lowest ranks in the Army, and Nazario responds. You're a specialist, Corporal, what are you? I'm a lieutenant. Lieutenant, get out of the car. Take your seatbelt off and get out of the car. Still, once Nazario got out of the vehicle, both officers appeared to assault him.
retired officer Gutierrez was nearby and arrived at the gas station to assist Crocker. Steve, get out the car. You received an order. Obey it. I'm honest here, please. Get out. Get out. Yeah, you should be. Get out. Rosario, who's Latino and black, says he had recently purchased this new SUV and notes the temporary rear tag was visible in the rear window. Nazario works as an administrative officer in the Army's medical care system. His lawsuit is asking for more than a million dollars and alleges assault, illegal search, and illegal detention. Virginia's governor, Ralph Northam, a Democrat, has issued a statement calling this incident disturbing. And he has ordered the Virginia State Police to conduct an independent investigation into the case. The town of Windsor, Virginia, says it supports that investigation. None of this should have much of an impact on Nazario's lawsuit. It seems clear his constitutional rights were grossly violated. And it shouldn't be a surprise that he's suffering from PTSD or other mental health issues as a result of this sickening incident. Having two people point a gun at you for five minutes, pepper spray you, and assault you is not something most people forget. Now imagine you're a minority facing two irrational white police officers in Virginia and fear that merely reaching for your seatbelt could cost you your life. In my view, Nazario is entitled to everything he's suing for. In the meantime, one can only hope that this case is generating a national discussion about police tactics and racism. Racism exists, and we need to address it beyond just the termination of one Windsor, Virginia police officer. They tell the lieutenant to get out the car. They ask him, is he a corporal or a specialist? You find out you're dealing with an officer. You pepper spray this lieutenant for absolutely no reason. He says, I'm a little bit afraid to get out of the car. Hmm. Why is that? Because he may get eight warning shots in his back. Are you kidding me? And they persisted with this abuse. He's not aggressive. He's not rude. He's not using profanity. He's not in any way threatening. He says, may I ask what is going on? That was the only question. Why are you pulling me over? I have a tag, which most people have. When they just purchase a car, tag in the back window. The officers wanted to know that he just purchased this car. Because he's driving while black. Perhaps the police officer didn't have an SUV. Maybe that's what thought. Let me pull this guy and find out what he's doing for a living. And you pepper spray. Do not in any way make light of pepper spray. That is a horrible situation. David? 
But those are the types of incidents I alluded to earlier. Many times these type of incidents are not, he's not dead. So, but this sort of harassment and abuse and outright assault, uh, gratuitous assault at that on this officer, on, on this uh, lieutenant, is what we're talking about. Why people have dis why African Americans have distrust in the police and believe there's systemic racism in the in policing. There was a gentleman killed William, you may remember this young man in Aurora, uh that was shot. Uh, our research team will look that up. Uh, he was shot. I saw the video of that traffic stop. Got pulled over for a traffic stop. He died alone on that road and was shot and killed by officers. The gentleman I talked about earlier, uh, as as David was talking about the um, police, uh, the harassment. You're stopping people, and then when the when African Americans call the police. When they take a minute to call, uh, then all of a sudden, uh, when they are called, how does one end up dead? You had a situation, Dave, that just recently happened. Is is that tonight? It happened this morning. Tell our listeners what it's about. So in Spotsylvania County, Virginia... Isaiah Brown, 32, is in intensive care with 10 bullet wounds after being shot outside his home. The state police and Brown's siblings say that Brown's interaction with the deputy began when Brown's car broke down at about 2.30 a.m. on Wednesday in a gas station not far from his home. The deputy, who is white, gave Brown, who is black, a ride home. Not long after the deputy left, Isaiah Brown called 911. The sheriff's, officer, the sheriff's office categorizes the call as a domestic situation between Isaiah Brown and his family member. And Isaiah Brown's brother says the same deputy who helped Isaiah Brown earlier returned, and within minutes, he opened fire and shot Isaiah Brown 10 times. And the family members say all they heard was get down, and then, the, then he started shooting. They said his brother only had a cell phone on him. Okay, let me let me be let let let's just let's just back up. Why are there ten shots fired with no weapons? Exactly. And, th- and this, this officer guy, just talked to him. Stopped. Let me be the good Samaritan here. Let's be the good Samaritan. This guy's cars broke down. Let's give him a ride home. And for the end of the day, we'll fill you full of ten bullets. Yep. Does that make any sense at all? And it's he the called same the thing. He, he called, called the, police. the police. And it sounds like he was on the front lawn waiting for the police to arrive. Because he called them. Because he called them. Same officer. So this gentleman just got out of your car. He was not a threat to you. You went as far as to give him a ride home. Within minutes, he is shot 10 times. And then they want police to cooperate. They want African Americans to cooperate with police or call police when they need for help. They need help. It's ridiculous. This is the problem we have. 
it's and, a problem. And here's the other thing is the state police confirmed that they have body camera footage, but they say they won't release it. It will be released. I can yep. tell you that right now. Yes. No, I wanted to go back. You know, you it, it's terrible what you're hearing. And I want to go back to the case that you said about in Aurora. That was Elijah McLean. Yes. Died in a chokehold with Aurora police. On a traffic stop. He got pulled over. He got out of his car. I saw the video. And so here you go again. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the same ongoing thing. A chokehold administered by police. A young man dies. He was 23 years old. He was a, a massage therapist. And, and so, you know, I, I wanted to speak up and say, here again, we've got a chokehold. we got another black man that died at the hands of police. Right. So we have two separate instances, instances here. Uh, the, the guy that got shot 10 times didn't die. But the gentleman, Elijah, in Aurora uh, was, was in a chokehold and died, and died that night. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I keep from week to week going to part two, part three. This is a series. It's an indefinite one at the moment. Uh, Next week, we're going to be joined by Commanding Officer Couch from the Teller County Sheriff's Department. He's going to chime in on this conversation and many, many more things we need to discuss. He's a class act, a man of high integrity, uh, and he wants to be heard. We're going to give him a platform to be heard. This is AJC Radio. Until next time, America, let's get better. This is AJC Radio. Good night.